You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is Abraham and my co-host. Ryan O. And uh, we are sans our video production, Tyler Bessier, today. So it's just the two of us. Yes, but we are in this lovely new studio space. Yeah, first time recording our brand new uh, recording space, this new studio office thing. And uh, so, oh, anyway, this is uh, why we do what we do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We like to talk about uh, psychological concepts and kind of break them down into plain English and kind of talk about the the science behind them, right, right, in a consumable sort of way. Yeah, and so today we chose to talk about uh, motivation. What what uh what gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you going every day? Yeah, <laughs> the sort of thing. And where do I find it? <laughs> yeah, what? Why don't I have it? <laughs> that sort of thing. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, and to begin with, if you're just gonna go look at Google, what are you gonna find? You're going to find, there's really two definitions they list there. The reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way, or the general desire or willingness of someone to do something. Okay. And um, so those are a little vague. Yeah. um, But, I mean, the vagueness allows us to relate to them, I think. That's true. Yeah. Um, I always question, like, how practical and useful are they? Like, what can I do with these? Like, Mm -hmm. a general desire or willingness of someone to do something. Okay. So... Uh, how do I find that desire, that willingness? How do I measure it? How do I measure? That's a good question. Uh, where, <laughs> uh, under what circumstances does this general desire or willingness occur? Yes. Uh, yeah. So it it provides not a whole lot in terms of uh, how are we going to study this and learn more about it, where it comes from. Um, so let's look at we're going to record this podcast here, and what's our motivation to do that? Well, what is our motivation? Our general desire or willingness to do something. I guess it's the fact that we're doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't Kinda know. Get circular. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, a good general definition. So if this is actually coming from psychology, um, and this is influenced by actually sort of derived this definition from a number of sources inside of psychology. But this is actually pretty close to if you just look up in a, in a Psych 101 textbook, the kind of thing you're going to see. And that definition of motivation is a circumstance that alters the effectiveness of an outcome. Okay, so a lot more specific than the other ones were. Yes, so I do, I do like that it says circumstance. So now right. it's just like event that occurred in the world, yep. right, that we can kind of pinpoint and say like this altered uh, motivation it looks like. Yeah, well, that, yeah the, so this is motivation. It's the, yeah. it's the circumstances that now there is something to work for or work to avoid or something like that. So um, one example that I thought of of this uh, as a definition of, is let's say that I'm going, there's a race going on, and for that race, there's a $1,000 reward if you win. So now I am highly motivated to train every day so that I can win this race, right? So that's an example where you have a circumstance, which is um, there, there's, a thousand, there's a race, and um, the reward, which makes the, uh, the training for that race, uh, the getting into shape and preparing to run and all of that, um, now I'm highly motivated to do that training because there's a circumstance um, which is the offer of this reward. Or another one I thought of is that I am, this is actually a real personal story, <laughs> um, that I'm going to be uh, at the beaches in Hawaii in September around the time this is coming out or maybe before this even comes out. Um, And so I'm going to be trying to get into better shape so that I look better at the beach. So here the circumstance is being at the beach 
And because I'm at the beach, the outcome of looking good is now um, a lot more important to me, a lot more valuable. So we can, again, just unpack this, looking at the circumstance and the outcome and how those relate to each other. And so my motivation to have a better diet and do more exercise to prepare for that. Nice. So you have one more, right? Yeah. Okay. So another one, which will be important for our discussion later on, is you'll notice that in circumstance that alters the effectiveness of an outcome, it doesn't say whether you're doing more or less of something, and it doesn't say if the outcome is good or bad. Okay. And so the last one that uh, I had come up with was that let's say you go into work and your boss comes in looking really angry and kind of huffing and puffing and maybe swearing a little under their breath. Um, You might be particularly careful so that you can avoid getting any feedback or uh, having to interact with your boss in any way. So now your circumstance is um, is the angry look on your boss's face, you're at work, um, and the outcome is avoiding having to uh, deal with your boss. Because maybe if your boss had come in you know, looking really happy and chipper and maybe you have a generally good relationship with them, you might try and interact with them. Yeah. Um, but in this particular instance, the outcome of interacting with them is is has a lower value, but it's more effective to avoid it. And mm-hmm. the avoidance is the outcome that that you might be working for in this this case. Yes, I like those examples. So uh, there's one thing that comes to mind that is that there's um, this general distinction people like to kind of do uh, between like extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. I think you kind of your examples highlighted that a little, right? Yeah. So the thousand dollar reward is um, is an extrinsic motivator. Um, but what, so let's just actually dive into that. What does that mean? What what do we have for what does in- extrinsic even mean? So extrinsic motivation occurs when we're motivated to perform a behavior or engage in, a, in some sort of activity to earn a reward or avoid punishment is how it's usually talked about in various psychology references. So um, here's some examples that like result in ex- extrinsic motivation. So studying because you want to get that really good grade, right? Mm-hmm. So you're the student and you want to get that grade and you're just motivated by this grade, that would be extrinsic uh, motivation. Maybe you're cleaning a room to avoid uh, being reprimanded by your parents, or perhaps you're participating in some sort of sport, like you were saying. There's yeah. a thousand dollar prize at the end. Right. You want to win that, or a trophy, or I just recently ran a, a big relay race with a team, and there was uh, a few things actually. The one that I really wanted, and in quote, yeah, <laughs> said in quotation marks, was a sticker that says 178 because it was a team relay for 178 miles. A and lot I of see miles. A lot of people. Um, yeah, but, but a team of 12, it kind of breaks down. It's yeah. not as crazy as it sounds. Um, <laughs> but that, that sticker, like, oh, I, I grabbed it and I was like, this is awesome. Like, I've, been, <laughs> I've seen this sticker around on bumper stickers all over Reno and I got one now. Nice. Uh, another example can, you could be, uh, competing for scholarships or rewards. I mean, we just, um, this was months ago, but we submitted, you know, a little grant for the podcast and mm-hmm. we got $500 to help support the cost of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So do, are we doing this podcast for extrinsic motivation and rewards? Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not really. It's mostly, uh, costing us money at the yeah, moment. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah. And all these examples are with extrinsic motivation. Behavior is supposedly motivated by uh, this some sort of desire to kind of gain a, a reward or avoid some sort of bad outcome. Yeah, yeah, something unpleasant or negative or whatever um, that can be another one. So uh, avoiding punishment um, and all of those. And yeah, this just falls under this umbrella of these are things that are ex- external to you. That's where extrinsic comes from. So uh, that oftentimes other people sort of control what these outcomes are for you. And that's sort of the distinction that they make in the, 
in the psychology about the difference between ex the extrinsic or external and the intrinsic or internal. So let's go ahead and go into the internal examples. Yeah, so intrinsic motivation would be this internal, uh, these internal examples. Um, so I'm going to jump into the examples first. So you could be participating in a sport because you find the activity enjoyable, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or solving a puzzle uh, or some sort of riddle or a hard problem work because you kind of find it fun and challenging or exciting. Or maybe you're playing some sort of game for the same reason. So uh, my race, like I was running the race because uh, I like the feeling and of kind of accomplishing those sort of things, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, you know, the sticker or uh, the bragging rights or the social media post or whatever it was. Um, so in all these instances, the behavior is supposedly kind of driven by this internal desire to participate um, in the activity for its own sake. Mm -hmm. So we call this intrinsic motivation, um, and it involves just engaging in these behavior patterns because it is personally rewarding. Right. right? Yeah. You, you get out of it what you get out of it just by doing it. Yeah, so the, the point here is there's no external re reward, they mm -hmm. say, um, or maybe it's that there's no readily identifiable external reward. <laughs> Uh-oh, teasing what's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's a bunch to jump into there pretty soon. One thing that comes to mind that I kind of wanted to bring up um, is, I'll, just, I'll plant this and then we'll bring it back a little bit later because I think it'll be a better time. Okay. Um, but we're, when we're talking about external and uh, internal or extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, uh, one thing I want people to kind of think of is like uh, there's this idea of altruism and that that people do things um, in this very selfless concern, right, and mm -hmm. manner. So you do things uh, for the well-being of others. And as we think about this intrinsic and extrinsic uh, distinction, we get into some of the research I want to circle back around on that and just kind of question, like, is altruism really a thing? Mm -hmm. Right. So let's let's make sure to hit that. Interesting question. Okay, so there have been quite a there's there's been quite a bit written about intrinsic motivation or this internal motivation. Um, there's been books on it. A lot of people have a lot of different things to say. So there's a few questions to ask though, because we can look at this extrinsic motivation and very readily observe that it's there. You've got money that's tied into it. You've got other people that are controlling these outcomes that you can specifically see that they're there. And all of those are, uh, those are all things that we can see. But with intrinsic motivation, because we can't really, like the only thing that we're really observing is the fact that we're not observing anything. We're only observing what's taking place. Okay. So the question to ask is, is intrinsic motivation really a thing? Is it really present? Is it real? Is it something that we can identify. And if so, where does this intrinsic motivation come from? And how does it maintain? And also, uh, and how do we measure it? And if it's not really a thing, then what's going on with these instances that look like they're intrinsically motivated or internally motivated, right? Um, and so some of the research I was doing on this, I found this really interesting guy whose name was uh, Michael Carson, and he had an article on Psychology Today. Okay. All right, and so he's so it's a pretty big platform. There's a big platform. Yeah, so, yeah this reaches a lot of people uh -huh. and uh, very, very accessible to a lot of people. And so I was reading through his his article on Psychology Today, and he says, "quote There is no such thing as intrinsic motivation." End quote. And I'm going to paraphrase him here for the second part. And he's saying this, but I'm I'm putting it in my own words. 
when we can identify the circumstances of motivation, we call it intrins or extrinsic. So when we can identify the circumstances, we call it external or extrinsic. When we can't identify the circumstances, then we call it intrinsic. And he says that's the only difference. Not that those circumstances aren't there for the intrinsic motivation, just that we haven't or we can't identify them. Okay. So I'm again, I'm using my own words to sort of describe yeah. what he says when he's talking about this internal motivation. Uh, or this uh, intrinsic motivation, um, but he's saying flat out there is no such thing as intrinsic. And if we think that it's intrinsic, it is because we have not identified what those circumstances are that are motivating. That's pretty heavy. That's like, what it is. The, the source is coming from and the message. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's new necessarily. I just mean it's kind of heavy and like it's just pretty blunt and it's right there. Yeah, probably for some of our listeners, that's a hard thing to hear. That like, yeah, I've, I'm internally motivated to do whatever it is like to, to pursue your hobbies or your passions, uh, to record a podcast maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know if this is like the best time for it, but like, I remember first hearing like something like that on mm-hmm. the internal external and it doesn't have to like remove the dignity or you know, no. like out of it at all. For me, it was just like, so when I realized that distinction was there, I now all of a sudden had like these these tools, right? Like this way to kind of be like, how can I get more internally motivated, motivated, right? Like, um, and that, that's just been really powerful, I guess. Like there was, I guess it's like, it's kind of like you're walking around this world and like, you're, you're kind of like hoping for motivation. You're not sure what to do. And when I, (laughs) I realized like, uh, that the world's kind of, you know, set up in ways in which, uh, there's this extrinsic kind of becomes intrinsic. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I was like, okay, so I just need to figure out how to make that happen. Right. Like it's this whole new possibility. Right. Yeah. It's not, not that there's anything wrong with, uh, with this idea. I don't know. It, I think there's a lot of people that have this idea that, um, if it's extrinsic, then it's, maybe immoral or there's something wrong with it being extrinsic. And the thing is, it's, um, there, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have this internal motivation or having the external or whatever. It's just that uh, from the standpoint of how do we understand this phenomenon, how do we study it, how do we measure it, how do we get a good grip on on what's going on here? We just we need to be very clear on what our definitions are. And if uh, one of the, the things that was raised um, in some of the research I was doing is if we label this something that someone's doing as intrinsically motivated – Okay, well, then what do we do? What what do we do with that information? If they're not motivated in a certain circumstance where we see that they're not doing something that we want them to be doing, and we just conclude, well, they're not internally motivated, and we shouldn't use extrinsic motivation because that's amoral, then are we just concluding that they'll never do it and they'll never be motivated? And that's just the way it is. So like, okay, I don't want to pay my taxes. I'm not motivated to do that. So it's just the government's just going to be like, well, he's not intrinsically motivated to do it. I guess we'll leave it at that. The example of building motivation is they're so abundant. There's all these platforms that people use to try and uh, increase motivation. There's motivational speakers. There's all these strategies that people have for uh, trying to get motivated to do things. So um, we know that there's at least some – it's just not as clearly black and white as you either have this external or this internal motivation. Um, we know it's just got to be more complicated by that. Yeah. And so there was um, – there's some people who have done quite a bit on this. There is a book called Punished by Rewards. I don't remember who the authors are. And they specifically are going after this idea that extrinsic motivation undermines intrinsic or internal motivation. Okay. And what they observe is that 
um, oftentimes what might happen is if you have a behavior that someone's engaging in and that has these specifically delivered or programmed systematic rewards for that behavior, and then those rewards are discontinued, then that behavior will decrease um, as a result. So that Mm -hmm. what you're doing is, although the person may have done that anyway, now that there's no longer a reward for it, um, that behavior is no longer occurring. Well, I mean, there's obviously a few issues in that. First of all, if the behavior was occurring and there was an external motivator how or like a reward that was going on, how do you know that behavior would have ever occurred in the first place? <laughs> like it was only occurring. So uh, we don't know that it w- that we were killing the intrinsic motivation there. Um, and, the, and the other thing is that it actually makes a lot of sense that for a lot of things that we do, if we can identify that there is a reward going to work, we get paid. Um, and uh, if that were to stop, then you would probably stop going to work, I imagine. Um, <laughs> maybe some people keep going. I bet your boss would really love to know that. Um, but anyway, uh, there, there are a lot of reasons that when you start to remove reinforcement um, from behavior, that, that behavior is going to decrease. Um, but usually when those rewards are decreased, they're very systematically and gradually faded out in favor of more natural, naturally occurring rewards um, that actually sort of get at this quote-unquote intrinsic motivation. Okay, mm-hmm. And so they give this example where uh, they have had these kids where they, the kids don't want to wear their glasses, they have a vision problem, they don't want to wear glasses, and so they um, were rewarding them with like tokens or some kind of praise or whatever it was. Okay. And uh, they were getting the kid to wear the glasses, and eventually they faded out the tokens and praise, but now there was the natural reward of being able to see the world more clearly. And so that, that was a good example of how you fade out those um, quote-unquote external rewards in favor of those more naturally occurring rewards of doing the thing that you want them to be doing anyway. Yeah. Okay, so I did a quick search, and Punished by Rewards uh, was written by Alfie Cohn. Oh, okay. Um, That's right. I remember the name. Yeah, right? Okay. Um, Yeah, it's been all over the place. He's been a big proponent of that sort of thing. Um, But I had a question for you. What if I just called it encouragement instead of praise or rewards? (laughs) Does that that solve our problem? Um, Well, I mean, it seems to, at least on its surface. Um, People – it has shown up for people that – and I think that Alfie Cohen talks about this, where it's okay to encourage kids to do something, but it's not okay to praise kids for doing something. But the way that they dis- that uh, encouragement is described is like essentially identical to praise. Okay, um, you're doing a great job. Keep up the awesome work. Uh-huh. Is supposed to be encouragement, and is somehow supposed to be fundamentally different from praise. I guess because it's structured slightly differently than. You're an awesome person, or something like that. Yeah. So no, I guess the short <laughs> okay. answer to okay. your question is no. I like that. Doesn't doesn't directly change it. Uh, there would just have to you'd have to know more about it. Um, okay. And so the last part in here that I'm going to talk about is this uh, the, a study where they were again looking at this external internal motivation thing. And what they did is they had these groups of kids, and uh, these kids were, I think if I remember correctly, they were solving some type of problem, and for one of the groups of kids, they didn't give them any feedback. And for another group of kids, what they did is they gave them this really vague, non-specific praise, even after they wouldn't do very well um, on these problems. So they'd say something like, the kids would get a lot of problems, right? And then the people would say oh, you're really smart. And then the next time they gave those kids problems, the kids in the group who were told, you're really smart, were less likely to um, to do 
uh, more difficult problems or, or even as difficult of problems than the kids who had no praise or feedback whatsoever. So that really seems to, at least on its face, support the idea that um, if you have this praise – that that's going to undermine your decision to choose more difficult problems than if you have no praise at all. However, there was that third group of kids, and for that third group, they had more behavior-specific praise where they were talking about, great job putting your effort on these problems here, yeah. um, and they were, it was just a lot more specific on what they were actually doing. And 93% of those kids were actually more likely to choose the more difficult problems uh, the next time they were given the opportunity. So it actually it, – 93? 93%, yeah. <laughs> so they, almost all of them. Uh, and so it makes sense if you just look at that. It makes sense that if you generically reward failures, it's going to uh, result in more behaviors that are similar to those that were the failure. And just as like a hypothetical example of this, yeah. let's say you're at work and you – like one day for whatever reason – you just get hardly like maybe half as much work done as you normally do and um, and you – it's like half the quality and you get the same exact recognition and praise and money yeah. as you would if you were doing um, – if, if you put in that 100 percent that you normally put in. Why would you continue to put in the 100 percent? Like you're just going to go back to doing um, – you're, you're, you're really just going to be selecting this – lower and lower level of work that you're doing because you get the exact same outcome for half as much effort. And okay. yeah, so it makes sense that like that was kind of an outcome they saw for those kids. I mean, at least it seems to on its face. And I, you know, the other thing is looking at this, the conclusion that you would try and draw then, if you just look at the first part of the study where they compared the no the the vague praise to the no praise group, is that praise is not a good thing in these work environments. However, I mean, people complain all the time about not being acknowledged for their contributions at work. I I think it's really dangerous to conclude that you shouldn't provide a nurturing positive environment for your employees because you're afraid of undercutting um, <laughs> undercutting their motivation when really the research just doesn't – it doesn't really suggest that. Um, although you might draw that conclusion from this, that where the organizational and like industrial, industrial psychology uh, research is at, that's not the conclusion that they have. Okay. Sorry, that was like a rant <laughs> I went on for a while. That's all right. Off the soapbox. Off the soapbox. Yeah. That's a good one. I liked it. Stepping down off the soapbox. All right. Uh, I always like to do a little bit of search around and seeing uh, when we're talking about this, uh, any psychological concepts um, this week being, you know, intrinsic, extrinsic motivation, those sort of things like what pulls up on a Google hit. Now, I want to just preface that with <laughs> there's uh, I understand that everyone looks at different things and your search history comes in, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, my thing is like what's kind of hanging at the top here and like what are people finding? Yeah. Um, especially someone like myself that's like looking into a lot of these things on a kind of regular basis, you know? Yeah. Um, so one thing that kind of stood out and I found a reference from jamesclear.com. Uh, he had a lot to say on motivation. I actually really, uh, to kind of like praise him, like the, having it out there and the way you structured it was really cool. It was like a little mini book. You can go out there and read it in 15 to 20 minutes if you're reading real fast. Nice. And you all of a sudden have uh, uh, an idea on kind of what is all entailed in motivation. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool there. Now, he kind of looks at, like, in, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation like we do. Um, okay. He does offer some tools out there, which is kind of cool. So okay. it was this nice in-between of, like, uh, things that I don't think you and I would necessarily agree with, um, but some things that we do agree with. Okay. <laughs> um, one thing that he talks about is the Goldilocks rule. Um, and this, according to him, the Goldilocks rule states that humans experience peak motivation 
uh, when we're they're working on tasks that are right on the edge of their current abilities. Um, so that is that they're not too hard, they're not too easy, they're just right. Boom. <laughs> right? And so when I hear these things, I'm like, okay. Porridge. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Porridge. <laughs> um uh, some things kind of like came to mind really fast. I was like, does that hold over cultures? What do you think? Um, let's see here. So ju- not too hard, not too easy, just right. Hold over. Uh, no, like, probably not. Yeah. I mean, uh, cultures are so different in how they approach these things. I imagine it'd be really specific to the culture you're in. Yeah. Does it hold over one's lifetime? Uh, no, definitely not. I, I would not think so. No, you need people who really start to push themselves or just completely give up on anything that's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, does it hold across settings? Like in your day to day life. Um, let's see Works here. At home. Like, oh, are we always just as? Nope. Home motivation just drops to the floor. Like <laughs> lay on the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of the reason I've been extremely productive the past five or six days since we got this new studio space. You've been sleeping in here. I do not have a futon yet. I will be putting one in here. Um, but that might actually like disrupt uh, motivation in a way, right? Sure. No, I got these other competing things kind of going on. Yeah. Um, some other things on this Goldilocks rule, like does it hold across different behaviors? So are some, are you saying like some behaviors might, we might be more motivated for, some might be too easy, some might be too hard, but you just got to find that sweet spot? Yeah. Like does the sweet spot hang with everything? And like, is the same sweet spot? Like, is, like, is there the sweet spot? Like, yeah. Uh, well, is, it, is it at the same spot, like for every behavior? Like, so let's take uh, for me um, skateboarding because I tried to do that when I was in high school. Okay. So um, no, because <laughs> too too hard for me. Like it might not be all that hard, but I'm like gonna put one foot on the skateboard and just say no. Yeah, not yeah. even trying today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if yeah, so that's a perfect one. So for me, longboarding. Like if I see one of those, I'm like I'm good. Like I've wrecked enough times. I'm done with that. Right. I'm all finished with it. But if you're like, hey, start uh, – like this is a perfect example. Like start this podcast and like try to grow this. Yeah. That's an insane amount of work. And like is yeah. there – like that's way different, right? Way, way harder than one might expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, now with all that, like I don't know – so to kind of summarize, like I don't think it necessarily holds over cultures, one's lifetime, settings, different behaviors. But I do think that there's something interesting here. Um, and one thing I kind of come around to – and remember we are talking about this Goldilocks rule of like the just right – is I think if you take an individualized approach, um, so if everybody kind of looks at like where are they currently at and where they want to get at, mm-hmm. and they're looking at themselves, um, and they take like kind of a database approach of like looking at the world and saying like what's working for them, right? Um, then I think you can kind of, uh, I, th- I think that's when the Goldilocks rule becomes like easier to understand. Well, yeah, Does I mean, it, sense? And, like, it comes out of those I now, things I where I now can kind of like program and like. Uh, work with my motivation like i can work on motivating myself well and that's i mean but that sort of takes it out of the of the rule of what you've come down to instead is it it depends it depends on the circumstances depends on the context and that once you have a tool that allows you to be flexible with that that is potentially going to contribute more to your options and your strategies i guess than having a like a, a fast firm um you know hold in place sort of rule about yeah. about um how 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 to evaluate where your motivation is going to be okay so where does that leave us where do we need to go um well i guess there are some other examples inside of the psychological um i guess literature or um concepts to really understand in terms of what's going on with um with motivation and how how else is it talked about 
And uh, we gave that example of an out of a circumstance that uh, mm-hmm. with a definition um, that affects or that um, that alters the uh, effectiveness of an outcome. And so there are other examples of this that are kind of mundane. But if you, let's say you walk into a room, now mm-hmm. what is your motivation to find and flip a switch in that room? Probably pretty low. Unless it's dark, and then all of a sudden, like a light switch becomes a lot more valuable. Yeah. Right. And so, um, or like, let's say that you uh, you notice that there is a screw sticking out of the wall that you need to screw in. Most of the time, you're not going to walk around your house highly motivated to find a screwdriver, but that screw is poking out. Boom! All of a sudden, you've got an example. Need a screwdriver because there are circumstances where a screwdriver has now become valuable. Yeah, I was trying to think of like other ways this might pertain to like listeners of different backgrounds. And one thing that I've been kind of working on the last few years is like understanding kind of project management and like how do we get like cool, different um, ideas kind of happening. Yeah, let's make it big. Let's make it big. So we're, we're doing mundane household examples. Let's go. Uh, let's go big. Company uh, ambitious <laughs> examples. Yeah. So let's say you have some like giant vision for a company. So you're that kind of CEO entrepreneur mentality, and you're like, I'm gonna impact a million people. Right on whatever your idea is. Yeah, pick whatever it is. Um, what I think when you can finally kind of see that outcome and that vision, and it's like really clear on like you're like this is what I want. Mm-hmm. If you know that, but you also know what it is that uh, it's going to entail to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Now all those things that you need to get there become extremely valuable to you. Right. So uh, one personal experience in myself here is like as we were going about creating this podcast, there's uh, some things like being able to produce the video and audio components like mm-hmm. very kind of fluidly. And I was like, I had an idea what these were um, years ago when you were kind of talking about like, hey, let's get this podcast going. Yeah. Um, but in the last couple of years, like learning like how these tools work, how video uh, can be used or audio to tell a story and kind of get an idea across. Once I really realized like how to do that, but like the value of them, mm-hmm. now it was like, okay, this is what we need. We need an editor. We need this. We need that. We need this. We need that. Right? Right. Um, and I think that's another... I guess, example of that, like something else, uh, altered the value of what I was looking for. Motivation. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. So those people who, who have a, a big idea, they want to impact the world. They, um, the circumstance they have is there's some issue in the world that needs to be solved. And now they're, uh, the value of finding people who can help you, of finding the materials and things that you need to make that successful, uh, all of those things that va- the value is just going to increase. And all of the things that would get in the way of that, the effectiveness of those as punishers is also going to increase um, because um, there's there's so much – there's so much at stake in that, mm-hmm. that circumstance. So that's one of the reasons I really like that definition of motivation as it sits inside of sort of regular psychology because it just – it's so much – it's so useful at applying it to all these various circumstances and understanding why we do what we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boom, plugged it. Yes. Yeah. It's like <laughs> when can we plug it and how do we plug it well? Yep. Um, so – yeah. Okay. This is another area I want to jump into, and that is uh, language. And for me, when I say language, it's just kind of how we talk. Right. Internalization of those sort of things counts, as well as like when we're talking, like we are on this podcast right now. And I kind of look at when it comes to motivation and like talking about things. That there's a couple tools that I ran across that were uh, have some research behind them. I'm mm-hmm. um, kind of like a an theory and a philosophy kind of base that they're built upon. 
And they also provide me some like tools, I guess, to like understand like how to kind of create motivation. So the first one would be if someone doesn't know about anything at all, right? Like they're like looking for this thing. Well, not just, just cr- yeah, just crawled out of a box. <laughs> They've been in their whole life. Never not heard literally. of a word before. But like, <laughs> so you say you're, you say you're in a meeting and you're talking with somebody and you realize like, Hey, this person would actually really love it. I think if they knew about X or Y, like this person, when you tell them about that person, all of a sudden what it does is it completely uh, creates this brand new thing that they, they never knew about and it, it makes it uh, rewarding to kind of pursue it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it creates this value. So that might be, um, here's a good example. So when we were starting up the podcast, so I was like, who's doing things in the areas of psychology and these kind of values that we have, right. um, myself and you. And one of the uh, girls on the team, Miranda, was like, you should check out the people, the minimalists. Never heard of them. Shout out to the minimalist podcast. Yeah, never heard of them. But when she mentioned them, what it did is now the minimalist was the thing where it was like, I need to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because someone important to me told me, you need to check these people out, right? Um, now, so that's kind of one way I think language can be used to kind of help you do that. So, so, so when, you're intru- when you uh, have some piece of information that's new and contributes to the value of something... Um, that you, uh, like forms this motivation. Okay. There, I like that. Okay. Good, good phrase. (laughs) Um, now the other one is, is like, it can motivate you more or less language. Okay. So, so it sort of, of, uh, I want to say calibrates or adjusts the level of motivation. Yeah. So just like we were talking about, like your, your simple example, um, of like this, the light switch, right. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of the same idea of, there's uh, something that changes that uh, increases or decreases like the momentary value of something, mm-hmm. right? Right. So one that is particularly very interesting to me is like long-term visions. So to kind of bring like this business example back in that I was talking about, um, I have this vision and I know like what I want to kind of work towards and build and I know that I need a lot of people to help me like I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden these different people around me become valuable and especially if we share the same vision. Mm-hmm. But um, getting up every day and like working toward those things, there's a lot of competing things going on all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so one, Sleeping. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, one tool that I always use um, that works really well for me uh, personally, but only momentarily, is certain motivational videos from people that I'm like really into at that time. Mm-hmm. So what it is is their language, the way that they kind of talk about sort of things in the moment, can like give me a boost on motivation. So it's not that it's like they're telling me something new, right? And they're not creating this new valuable thing. Like I already know what this vision is and what I'm trying to work towards. The value's already there. Yes, it's just uh, kind of like a reminder, I yeah. guess, right through language. Right. Um, but the important thing there is that 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 thing that you find that does create that momentary motivation, mm-hmm. like motivational videos for me, I have a few different people for a few different things. And if uh, I try to cycle those into my life, sometimes they get me going when I'm down. That doesn't always work, but yeah. um, that's another tool, I guess, that's out there. Okay. So basically just to, to take it a step back on this, and I'm going to tie in a couple things, is uh, what we're talking about here is how motivation can be altered simply by our language about the things that we're interested in, that are valuable to us. And uh, one of them that you said forms the value where you get something new that kind of creates a new value for you. And then the other one where you, um, our own language, our verbal behavior about, um, about something sort of 
increases or decreases the value of something. And, you know, this is very prevalent inside of uh, advertising. So I'm going I'm to tie this back to two things. Um, cool. And so one of them is that another circumstance I didn't really hit on was let's say that we we're going to talk about two different ways that I'm going to, I'm going to get you to drink a Red Bull. <laughs> okay. Okay. For me, I, you know, I haven't had Red Bull in a really long time. And then I had one right before we started recording. Yep. And, um, there might be, first of all, a long period of time between when I, the last time I had something to drink and now. And so one way to get me to drink a Red Bull is to deprive me of, of water or something to drink for a long period of time. And uh, then the longer I go without having something to drink, the more valuable that's going to become um, as as an outcome of, let's say, asking for it or searching for it or buying it, whatever it is, um, because I have not had it in so long, right? And they call that deprivation. And then the other one is that going back to your example is you can calibrate it based on the language you use to describe it. So if we're just sitting here, maybe I just had something to drink. I just had some water. Um, but you might say, we've got this cool, refreshing, delicious um, <laughs> Red Bull for you. Yeah. And all of those extra words that you add to it um, are sort of slowly ratcheting up the value. Uh -huh. uh, it's <laughs> it's cold, it's refreshing, it tastes good. Um, all of those things where before I was just sort of like, eh, I don't really feel like I need it. But by the time you've layered on so much stuff, um, now all of a sudden that's become more increased. And that all exists just inside of the, the language part of it of, you know, we can, we can use our words to really affect how these things work as outcomes, not just circumstances don't just have to be um, deprivation don't just have to be, it's dark with the example of the light switch or whatever, but you can also um, have those circumstances that are based in sort of inside of language and how language can affect those. So there's, from the sort of behavioral literature, there's the basic uh, effects to look at in terms of schedules of reinforcement and how, what the effect of those schedules are. And we haven't actually really touched on, I think, what reinforcement is, and it's a little weird to even say schedules of reinforcement, but basically just this refers to um, how often and um, under what circumstances reinforcement or rewards are going to be available, okay? Yeah. And there's two different kinds they talk about. One is based on um, how often you do something, so like how many actions or responses you do. And the other one is after a certain period of time that you have to wait before you do something. Mm -hmm. And they, so those are uh, either a number of responses or, or an interval of time. Okay. And it's either going to be a fixed number of responses or a variable number of responses or a fixed interval of time or a variable interval of time. Right. Yep. And those all produce different outcomes in terms of what your behavior looks like. So let's give an example in terms of gambling. Actually, it'd be a really good one. Okay. Okay. So if let's say I'm going to sit down, we're, we're in Nevada and gambling is legal here and it's awesome. So um, it's rampant. <laughs> it's rampant. I, I love it. <laughs> um, haven't done it in a while, but I do love it. Um, but so you sit down in the slot machine and let's say that we have one of these um, response schedules where it's going to happen based on how many times I pull the lever and it's going to be a, a variable um number of responses that it uh, I earn money for pulling mm -hmm. the lever. So what would you expect to see in my behavior of pulling the lever? 
Lots of pulling that lever. <laughs> yeah. Go quick. It's unexpected when that payoff is going to be, so I'm going to pull it as fast as I can, as often as I can. It's going to be really steady, right? Yep. Okay, but um, how about if instead of it being variable, I know exactly how many times I need to pull that lever before I get a payoff? What would you expect? I'm going to go really fast, and I'm going to take a pause. Yeah, perfect. And Call it a, a break and run. Yeah, um, okay, so this one's really important, I think, especially in looking at the where if you start to provide or you fail to provide reinforcement, it quote unquote undercuts the intrinsic motivation. So I don't know what my intrinsic motivation would be to sit down in a slot machine, but let's say I'm, I'm going to sit down in a slot machine, and I'm going to start pulling that lever, and I know that every 25 times I pull that lever, I'm going to get a payoff. So after the 25th time, I'm going to stop and take a little break after I got that payoff. And so it's going to look like that because... So the reward happened, and then I take a little break. It's like, oh, that reward just killed my, whatever intrinsic motivation I had. Mm-hmm. But really, that's a very common pattern to exist when you have a a static number of responses that you need in order to get that reward. Yeah. So the the time interval ones, uh, there's two different types. So the first one is you have some sort of interval, mm-hmm. and as you get closer to that interval, when that interval actually hits, and you uh, do what you need to do, it kind of pays off. What does that produce us? Uh, so I'm going to give an example of this. And the one that I like to turn to is like the mail. So mm-hmm. um, I personally, for whatever reason, really like checking the mail, my mailbox. Um, but they don't always come at the same time every day. So I know it doesn't really matter how many times I go out there. I'm only going to find mail once the mail truck has actually come by. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is an interval of time that I have to wait before going to the mailbox is going to be rewarded with mail. Um, but I don't know what that interval really is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what we tend to see is on those that you usually have a slow but constant stream of checking the mailbox. Especially like let's this is especially I think relevant when you're waiting for like something from Amazon or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm gonna periodically throughout the day I'm gonna keep checking, keep checking. I don't know when this package is gonna get here, but I'm just gonna keep checking, keep checking. And it's steady, but it's not very often. Perfect. Another one that is kind of like that, but uh, can get you a higher rate. I guess it depends on a lot of things. But yeah. for me myself, like uh, picking up my picking up my phone. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I will steadily pick up my phone throughout the entire day mm-hmm. to the point that it'll be any time between eighty and two hundred and twenty times a day. Usually, that's a lot. It's a lot, <laughs> um, but it's just this kind of steady low rate of me picking things up. Okay, and I'm checking various social media accounts. It's how I text and talk and uh, FaceTime with family and friends. And it sounds like a lot, but I'm like I connect with a lot of the world through that way. That's another example of that one. And going back to this idea of a slot machine, for whatever reason, let's pretend that they would do a slot machine where it's after 10 minutes of waiting, then if you pull the lever, it'll immediately produce a reward. Yeah. Boy, people would have that system figured out real fast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If, let's say, that was the case and it was always 10 minutes and then pull the lever, what you would see is that as you get close to that 10 minutes, that 9 minutes and 45 seconds, Mm -hmm. people are going to start pulling that lever like they're trying to break it off. Like you're going to get a super high level of of pulling on the lever to, um, right before the reward is produced. And that's just yeah. that's exactly what you expect to see when you have a, a regularly scheduled reward that happens after a period of time, but it has to happen once you've done something to, to earn it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. And this is actually what slot machines actually work on. Um, it's called a random ratio. And so, um, and basically, just to go back to the language I was using, of, so we have a number of responses, and those are going to produce a reward, but you don't really know what that is. Well, on a random ratio, it's... 
very random. <laughs> it's not even after like a inconsistent number of responses. It's every response that you could earn a, re- a reward. It's just a roll of the dice whether or not you will. Yeah. So you could go hundreds in a row where you earn nothing. Or it might be that every single one you earn a little bit of something. Yep. Or you even have a couple of really big payoffs in a row. Yeah. Just random. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that one up just because I knew we'd get into this gambling topic. And just I want to kind of clear it up on like those ones that we talked about are the basic ones. Mm -hmm. um, But there's a lot more out there. Yeah. There's uh, hundreds of combinations that you can do out there. All right. So we have those basic schedules that we kind of talked about. And I just want to mention real quickly that those things are talked about in a lot of different fields, whether whether it's – user experience, the business world, right? Like they, those basic things theoretically apply, but in practice you would always have to look at the degree to which they're actually really being followed, right? And mm-hmm. it's usually a lot more complex than that. So that's just kind of your starting point. We need to get this back into motivation, right? Okay, yeah. So let's move it back in there. So so why were we talking about these reinforcement for so long? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really like to tie it into goals and values. And if you can align your daily uh, rewards and kind of have some tools to work towards motivating your, your in the moment, right. Mm -hmm. Behavior. Um, then you should be able to start being able to line those things up with your goals, those longer term things that you want to hit. And if you're making sure that you're, they're in service of your values, those things that you really care about at the end of the day and like try to work towards that you can't necessarily like hold and have like compassion or intimacy or self care, um, but you can like achieve goals in those areas, then mm-hmm. I think that is uh, a nice framework for how you can not only be motivated, but kind of achieve and accomplish motivating things and motivate yourself daily. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So I guess j- especially just bringing it back to like when we talk about these rewards, th- these these rewards that exist that are the things that are maintaining um, some sort of action or behavior or pattern that you're doing already, The what we're sort of at on this is that when if you're doing something at all, then there's some kind of motivation there, which means that there's some some circumstance and some valuable outcome that you've got going on. Even if it's like really personal to you, even if it's just like a good feeling after having done something good, uh, those are those are all things that exist in this world of you have a circumstance that has the value and that that reward has a payoff. Um, that is going to be either consistent or inconsistent based on your actions or based on a period of time um, or, you know, or some other combination of those things. And, uh, and all of that sort of helps explain and look at um, how do we look at when people are doing something, where's the, what is the motivation there? Mm-hmm. And how do we understand how that motivation is contributing to what they're doing or what they're not doing? Mm-hmm. I guess the last thing to really um, dive into here um, is some of the pitfalls. Some people, yeah. where, where you might think that like I've tried motivation and it just doesn't work or something like that. And one of the important things to look at is your reward really has to be tied into and related to the behavior in some way. And the more naturalistic rewards that are sort of the immediate outcome of what you're doing are going to be the most likely to work as a motivating outcome. And so 
let's say you have someone who's like a health nut and they only they drink their green smoothies and they have their protein bars and they work out all the time. If you try and then offer them a piece of like super sugary, a gigantic piece of sugary cake as a reward for their working out, well, that's not going to work as a as a reward for them. Like they don't. These are people who already don't want that kind of outcome. Mm -hmm. And so like that's this is an example where it's not just anything you do is going to work as a, um, a reward. It's only if it has that effect of a circumstance that increases the value of something. Uh, another example is uh, I was in a training recently where if you participated, then they would hand out these particular like candy bars. But it was stuff that I would never eat. And so I was actually motivated to not participate because I didn't want them to give me these candy bars. Yeah. And then the last circumstance is if going at the end of things of like avoiding punishment stuff, if you put someone in a corner where they've got nothing left to lose, then you're going to have a hard time finding a powerful motivator mm-hmm. because like their only motivation at that point is just like get me away from here mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. And so – and another one I'm, I was thinking of is if your reward is just way too small that it's not matched to the amount of effort it takes to produce that reward, then that also is not going to be very – that's just not going to work as a motivator. Cool. Yeah, I think you summed those up really well. Thanks. Uh, so – we had some more examples we wanted to hit on like how to use this sort of stuff. Yeah. So let's run through a couple of those. So the first one is public posting. Mm-hmm. So this idea of public posting is that uh, you do just what it says. Like you're yeah. going to you know kind of state this is my goal. Yeah. This is what I'm trying to do. Um, and the sake of putting that up in a place where others can see it can motivate you to achieve that, right? So that sort of social pressure um, creates the conditions for you to – be motivated. Yeah. So basically, you use this? yeah, I totally have. Um, and so public posting refers to you're essentially committing to something that you're going to do or you are doing to a whole bunch of people. And then you're also letting them see how your performance matches up with your commitment. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and so when I use this, I think I mentioned this actually when we talked about our, um, uh, self-management one okay. is I used a public posting for when I was training for a half marathon. Um, on my desk at work, I had my training schedule and I would initial it every day that I met my training goal for that day. And even though I don't think anyone looked at it, it was just me. It was actually yeah. really powerful for me that there were days when I'm just like, I just don't want to run today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be like, I have to sign on this form. I really need to do that. And so I would go out and I'd run and I'd make sure that I did it. And so that's one that's one example of a tool that that you can use to sort of get some motivation. Cool. The next one that I want to bring up was stick.com. We actually mentioned this also in the self-management episode that we did. Yeah, they're getting a lot of love from us. <laughs> I, gave, I gave some examples. Yeah. So if you really want to deep dive into that, I'd say go back to that one Yeah. Um, and listen to that episode. Uh, real quickly, it's just a place where you can set up uh, a goal. And if you don't meet that goal, then it will uh, – you set a value of some sort of amount of money that gets donated to a charity that you do not want to support. All right. So that's how it works. It works all right. Um, there's a lot more to, to learn about it, though, if you want to jump into our, our self-management uh, episode that we did. Um, now, tell me about this zombie running app. Uh, yeah, so there was one uh, I've heard, and actually my brother just tried this. He said it was kind of fun, yeah. um, that you can get this app when you're running, and it 
you wear headphones and it creates this sound like there are zombies chasing you. And as you slow down, then they start to get louder like they're catching up. And if you push yourself and go faster, then you kind of hear them fading off. And every once in a while, you hear some kind of come in to scare you and get you going faster again. Okay. And so the whole idea is that it, it sound as you're wearing your headphones, it's supposed to create the sound like you're being chased by a horde of zombies. Yeah. Um, and so this is, again, you're creating a circumstance where the outcome of escaping the zombies is more valuable mm -hmm. um, by having the volume increase and yeah. it'd be more prevalent there. And cool. then a lot of people use like the really common ones that work as motivators is just having notifications that come up. You have an Apple watch, you might have a thing that comes up and you're this close to hitting your moving goal for today or your standing goal mm -hmm. for today. Uh, Fitbit has alarms like this where, you know, these are how this is your target steps that you're trying to hit today. Um, Garmin, another one. Like, there's all these different wearable technologies you have that have alerts and notifications of how close you're getting to your daily goals. Yeah, social media would be like, you haven't interacted in this long, or right. someone just posted for the first time. Open it up. Like, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of those sort of things. Yeah, cool. All right, so I think it's time for take home points. Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right, bring it home. So I just wanted to start with. I think motivation is at the root of all behavioral like change procedures, apps any of that sort of stuff. Like if someone figured this out and it was that simple of like an intrinsic to extrinsic or like, you know, this one system, Yeah. Uh, not only would the world just be like this perfect, awesome place, most likely, um, <laughs> I could see that going bad in some ways. Yeah. So there would, there really would need to be a lot of way. ethics and controls in there to talk about. But, um, but that person would be rich as well. Like, man, would they have like figured it out? <laughs> um, so I I don't think it's just as simple as kind of like there's just one changing uh, one simple change in life or app that can kind of help you out. Um, so I wouldn't expect that. But I think the things that we talked about that you kind of highlighted already, um, and that is like that our behavior is kind of a function of being, and I think that is that our behavior is influenced by a lot of different things um, that we you know, like how we talked in all those examples, I think that is really like how to look at it. Like there's a lot of different things, a lot of different tools. Mm -hmm. And at this point we, we have those tools and we need to use them. Yep. Right. On this kind of individualized, uh, kind of database approach. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So just, there, there's a lot to understand, a lot to unpack in there, but basically when it comes down to it, when we're talking about motivation that really refers to, uh, the, all, all the things that we've, we've mentioned in here, you've got those circumstances that makes our outcomes more valuable. And if you you know want to look at what, what's the motivation for any particular, um, behavior, try and break it down to those. And if you're trying to get motivation to increase, look at those circumstances, mm -hmm. um, and for yourself, uh, maybe for your kids, maybe yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little hesitant to give a whole lot of direction about like, this yeah, is how yeah, you should yeah. raise your kids or trick them into doing stuff. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, this, this, especially for yourself, if you want to try and build a motivation, it's good, good to have this under your belt and sort of know how to use it. Cool. Anything else? I think that's it, man. I think we, uh, we d did a deep dive on this kind of a heavy topic. Yeah. So if you're still listening, thanks for listening in on <laughs> yeah. this. Uh, uh, clearly, you had a lot of motivation to finish this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. Really appreciate the support. Hope there's some useful things here. Remember, you can always hit us up on social media, um, our various different uh, email accounts, and all that sort of stuff. We are here. We do listen. We do reply to things. Um, and we even record them sometimes and uh, throw them out as kind of like listener mail segments. So make sure that you're, you're interacting with us. We're here. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from more of you. Uh, thank you to those of you who have already contacted us. <laughs> um, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you more in the future. All right, this is Abraham. And Ryan O. We're out.
listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. Hey.